Hello and welcome back to Student Radio Maastricht, hosted by RTV Maastricht. Big thanks to you. I'm your host for today, Sophia, and we're talking about migration with the organization Maastricht Goes to Calais. So I have here with me Anna. Hello. <laughs> nice to have you here. And Salome. Hi. We just talked about European migration, kind of the background of the migration cycle. So pre-migration, transit and then settlement and specifically about the situation in Calais. And your organization is called Maastricht Goes to Calais. What exactly do you do or what exactly does your organization stand for, Salome? Um, well, actually, as in the name, Maastricht Goes to Calais, um, we aim to, uh, yeah, to have a student community that is aware of what is happening in Calais and that also and also to create a link between us and the people in Calais so we um yeah we collect donations and funds that we then bring to Calais and uh yeah if covid allows it hopefully soon we want to organize volunteer trips so have people come to Calais and help out in the warehouse so it's really about also geographically going somewhere and not just in your mind being with the topic. And why exactly Calais, Anna? Um, Territorial-wise, Calais is just three and a half hours less even by car to us right now. So for me, that's even closer than my hometown in Germany. Uh, so I think it's really important to be aware that these European external borders and these illegal human rights violations happening are territorial-wise so close to us in Maastricht. Yeah, that's a really important point. So how often are you going to Calais, actually? When was the last time that you were there, Zalome? Um, we were there in November or December, I actually don't even remember exactly, but we're trying to go something like every two months. It depends obviously also on how uni goes because that goes first. But um, <laughs> yeah, we, we aim to go every two months with donations for a weekend and then volunteer trips. We aim to do that uh, during reflection weeks and holidays. Okay, wow. And What exactly are you then doing in Calais? Like you already mentioned that you're helping out as volunteers, but what exactly, like what are you exactly helping with, Anna? Uh, first of all, we bring donations that we collect here in Maastricht, mostly food or clothes donations. But then we also meet the local NGOs that we work with um, to get a picture of what exactly is happening, what they need and what we can help out with. Okay, and how did the organization actually get fun uh, founded? Like what was the idea behind it and when did this happen, Salo? Um, in 2016, there was a law student that had been to Calais as a volunteer, like with one of the NGOs there. And the volunteers also there always tell us that once you volunteer in Calais, you always like keep the link because you're so involved also mentally. So yeah, she wanted to continue helping from afar and she created the organization and she created it for the volunteer trips. So she went back regularly with other students to help out her colleagues in the okay. organizations. Wow, what a great initiative. And what exactly is so mentally involving, Anna, about the situation in Calais? Um, I personally, for me, most mentally um, involving was that I wanted to raise awareness on these exact policies that Michaela talked about earlier, policies and EU laws governing these um, yeah, human rights violations um, just so close to us. And I also realized that technically looking in this room and in the student population of Maastricht, most of us are migrants. And considering that, we don't really, yeah, we do take the freedom that we gain from our passports for granted. And realizing that made me really sad. So I wanted to get involved. Yeah, that's a really great initiative and really great effort that you're doing. 
And Salome, what are the biggest problems that you face in Calais? Like you said that you're donating a lot, but like what exactly do people need and why? I think, um, I mean, there's many problems, but the biggest uh, specifically also for the refugee encampments in Calais is are the evictions. So, um, yeah, it, French the French government does not want uh, to have a permanent camp there which is why there's regular evictions by the police every 48 hours and once a month a bigger eviction. Um, that means that the police comes at six in the morning and wakes up people sleeping in tents or just wherever under bridges, under trees, and they take their belongings, they tell them to leave the sites to go away. So um, that means that the organizations, they bring clothes or tents to or distribute clothes or tents to the people living there and uh, while knowing that within 48 hours they will come back to ask again for clothes or tents because they're going to be taken away by the police so it's this circle of yeah it's it's kind of a hopeless situation and it requires so many resources because you know that you have to give them every 48 hours something new so that's why we need so many donations because they end up somewhere at the police and we will not get them back whoa this is horrible we're going to hear more about the situation that exactly you're facing with an organization in calais in the next part and now we're first going to listen to the song pumped up kicks by foster the people
welcome back to Student Radio Maastricht. We're here hosted by RTW Maastricht. Big thanks to you. We just heard Pumped Up Kicks by Foster the People. We're here to talk about migration with the organization Maastricht Goes to Calais. We thankfully have support by our tech, Yanis, who's there for us and <laughs> makes all of this possible. And yeah, we're talking about migration with Maastricht Goes to Calais. So we have Salome here. Hello. And Anna. Hi. And yeah, I just want to know from you, how did you get involved? Like, how did you hear about the situation in Calais? And when was the first time, Anna? Um, I think for me the first time was Salo just mentioned the evictions and it was in line with the yeah, evictions narrative and the police versus migrants idea and the Calais jungle at the time uh, was evicted. And that's also when I decided to get more involved and question the common narrative. Yeah, to critically kind of be engaged and not to maybe trust what really how the media framed the situation. And Salome, what about you? How did you hear about the situation in Calais? Um, yeah, I, I heard the words sometimes in the news like Calais, but I, I never really understood what exactly was happening there because also when they talked about the jungle, it always sounded so, I don't want to say messy, I don't know how to frame it, but it sounded like this big problem that is going to be really hard for me to understand and sounded very far away. And um, yeah, it's when I, I, I actually, I think I talked with my dad about it once and he explained to me a bit what was happening and it made me really I was really shocked and then I just started doing a lot of research and finding really nice pages that update also on the situation and started following organizations and then I also ended up with Maastricht Goes to Calais. Okay wow impressive like I think where I like know Calais from is really this just going to the UK like going from Calais to Dover mm. and just like it's so normal like I just go there show my passport and then I'm basically already in the UK because as you said it's only 44 kilometers but I have an EU passport so it's like a huge privilege like to so easily get there and then if you think of the people the displaced people in the camps like it's so hard and there is this huge power imbalance that also a passport carries so you're confronted with a lot of like narratives in Calais and like a lot of stories that may also be like really yeah emotional for you so Anna what did you experience which narratives are you confronted with there um, going there it's like you really talking to on talking to the NGOs there for example the refugee communicate uh, community kitchen it was for us um, at the time you really realize that there's already marginalized people that there's families that there's women living in these really dire situations sleeping in tents and having to find a new place to stay every 48 hours so it's really yeah about the individual instead of as one would understand from the news just these numbers you really understand that there's individual person and with an individual fate behind these numbers actually having to live there actually having to live in a camp and in a jungle yeah it's like so much about the framing and how we frame living situations so also how we frame people so we already talked in the previous episode kind of about how we frame the kind of migration or refugees so as maybe waves as a crisis as a jungle and this is really dehumanizing from what i think and like how yeah it's just how do I, people there experience this and like how the news media reports about them salome um, yeah, the media obviously reports about this as this very big problem and as them, yeah, for example, in Calais, they, when you also see pictures, it, it looks like they're everywhere in the city, things like that, which are also actually not true because um, the refugees in Calais, they 
really take their distance from the locals living there. They don't just sleep in front of someone's house. They hide. They're embarrassed about their living situation. They hide in forests, trees, under bridges. And you don't see them that much, or at least you don't see the campsites. You see them walking through the city, but you don't see where they actually live. You have to look for it. And the worst thing is that the police, for example, teared down trees so that they wouldn't stay there anymore and they had to find new hiding places. So also the narrative in Calais is so different from reality because they're seen as invading the city when they're actually yeah, out of sight and don't have this place to stay. Wow, that's terrible. And what exactly is this relationship between the police and the displaced people in Calais, Anna? It's a pretty violent relationship, unfortunately, I would say. It's, yeah, migrants against police or against policies, maybe more. I don't think it's like the individual policeman wanting necessarily to hurt the migrant or to evict a camp. Um, but what these migrants ultimately experience is police violence. Yeah, police brutality, police violence. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, I'm sorry. Um, no problem. Yeah, but I think there's also really cases of police brutality where police went way too far, and you could see that police, um, yeah, abused their power and wanted the situation to go the way that it went. For example, there was this one case a few weeks ago where a video went viral where a police man was uh, in a military car. And they, with the car, tried to um, to drive through the the spots where tents of people were situated, so that they couldn't put the tents back on the ground, so that the ground wouldn't be flat anymore. And the policeman just went crazy and started driving around the mi the refugees standing there and kind of making a show out of it until his car got actually stuck in the mud. <laughs> And what? He, yeah, and another big car had to come to rescue him. It was actually the most embarrassing thing ever. And this was a clear abuse of power. And this person was just enjoying the situation way too much. Wow, that's horrible to hear that. And like, who are exactly the people who are in Calais? Like, where are they from? And where do, you, do they want to go to, Anna? Um, currently, many people from Afghanistan, Iraq, but Northern Africa um, wanting to go mainly to a place where there's safety and security for them. Um, yeah, I think we said earlier, not necessarily Europe. They don't necessarily want to be here. They don't want to have to leave their countries of origin. But um, yeah unfortunately are left with no choice so what they're looking for is a is a safe place to stay yes exactly and it's often like these decisions are so often like shaped by policies that for example like i heard a podcast about a story from like a family who came to calais because they were just rejected in germany like they couldn't work there they couldn't open a bank account they were all fluent in german perfectly integrated <laughs> but they had to leave because they had no opportunities there so it's very very much about kind of like also the EU policies that affect this, but also, of course, on the other hand, the UK policies. And yeah, in the next part of this radio episode, we're going to talk about how we can like improve their situation, what we can exactly do, especially also through Maastricht Goes to Calais, and yeah, confront this problem with a more personal note. 
But for now, like, what is the difference between our student life here in Maastricht and this life of displaced people in um, Calais, Salome? Um, I mean, yeah, they live in these encampments in the worst conditions you can imagine. And many people even say that they have experienced war, persecution, anything, and have never seen something this horrible as in Calais. I think we cannot even imagine how it must be to to have to be there. But I think for me, the biggest difference would be that we here can lead such a permanent life. We have a place to stay. We have an everyday life. We know what's going to happen the next morning. We can go to university. And for them, they have no idea what's going to happen in the next hours. They don't know when police is going to come. They they know that police is going to take something away from them and then they don't know what's going to happen. It's such such a circular uh, situation with, and the circle is so short. It's a matter of hours and they cannot plan ahead anything. And I think that's the worst, the situation of hopelessness when you just don't know how to get out of it anymore. Yes, it's a vicious cycle. Like yeah. You don't really have options. So we're now going to continue with a song which is Fluchtrag by Chris Cross Amsterdam and Anton. Um, and then after this, we're going to be back with how we can actually get involved and how we can do something about the situation in Calais. Ik wil dat je niet wegloopt en met de nacht verdwijnt. 130 op de vluchtstrook om bij jou te zijn. Ik ben niet gek en maar ook is verschap. Maar ik ken mezelf en wat ik niet kwijt. 130 op de vluchtstrook. Je vraagt me waarom ik je ontwijk Omdat je rondjes om me heen loopt Jij bent zo, jij dit pas als ik me omdraai Je omsingelde met wanhoop, het is echt zo Ik wil je bellen, maar het gaat niet Ik klap weer dicht, last van hyperventilatie Ik dacht dat tijd echt een liefde, dat bestaat niet Dan schijnt me drie, kijk hoe Cupido weer aanziet Zoveel frustratie, en luister Niks liever, ben verblind door je liefde Ja, en als je me mist Laat het me weten, zet de zin voordat ik down, down, down ben Ik wil dat je niet wegloopt Dat je niet wegloopt En met de nacht vertrouwt 
Welcome back to Student Radio Maastricht, hosted by RTV Maastricht. We're here and I'm your host, Sophia, for today. And we're here with our tech, Yanis, who is supporting us. And then we also have the organization Maastricht Goes to Calais here. So we have Salome. Hi. And Anna. Good evening. Thank you so much for being here and giving us insights about the situation in Calais of displaced people. We were just talking in the break about this private-public relationship of security guards at the border, like between the EU and the UK. What exactly do people experience there, Anna? Yeah, as you mentioned, we have the French police forces and then we also have something like private mercenary organizations such as Frontex, funded by us taxpayers, coming together to evict these people extremely violently, being involved in illegal pushbacks um, on our external borders. Pushbacks, what exactly is that, Anna? Pushbacks is pushing the people, <laughs> as the word suggests, out of their space, out of the country, often back into the water or... Yeah, and that's illegal. Like, <laughs> of course. <laughs> highly illegal under international law. So this shouldn't like happen in any kind of way. And what exactly, like you mentioned, the French police and the EU police, so Frontex also, and what exactly is there happening there between those two polices and between those two security institutions, Salome? Um, yeah, there's not a lot of consensus. There's, um, yeah, little agreement because no one wants to have the responsibility, basically. Um, yeah, France has... Um, Is, do, is doing a lot for the UK in the sense that the UK kind of externalized their borders to Calais. Um, they are allowed to have British police walking on the beaches and patrolling. Um, and yeah, so, so France frames this narrative a lot in a way that they are supporting the UK more than the UK is supporting them. Um, th then, yeah, there was a lot of disagreements and the EU was asked to get involved and that's when they sent also Frontex um, to patrol at the beaches. And I think one thing that strikes me a lot when it comes to the British-French relationship is, um, yeah, as I said, that they don't both don't want to have to be to held accountable for um, yeah, the crisis happening there, but also especially when there's specific cases where, for example, people die. So when people um, try to cross the channel and they encounter a problem on the boat, they usually try to call, the first thing they do is call the Coast Guard. So often, or most of the time, it happens that they call the French Coast Guard, which says, no, you're in British waters, you should call the British Coast Guard. Then they call the British Coast Guard, which tells them, no, you need to call the French Coast Guard. And in the end, either nobody comes or somebody comes way too late or the organization Utopia 56 which is there because the coast guards are doing such a bad job comes with their boats and tries to rescue them um, but also not everybody has the number of this organization and yeah there's so many people that try to cross that also Utopia doesn't have the means and also should not be responsible for that so the biggest problem is that the communication is so bad and Everybody tries to hold the other one accountable, which is on the detriment of those trying to cross the channel who lose their lives because of something this stupid. And it's also a problem of responsibility and also a problem of willingness to help, I guess. And what exactly is this organization, Utopia? Utopia I don't know the exact name. What is the Utopia name again? Utopia 56. <laughs> okay, Utopia 56. What exactly are they doing then? 
Um, they provide emergency help. So they always have, for example, blankets, new clothes, some food, um, also like primary medication. So whenever they, they're mostly, uh, they operate also 24-7 and they mostly operate around the beaches so that when people try to cross and something happens, they're there to save their lives. Um, but also during the night in the encampments, there's... It's possible that there's a fight, for example, because you have very different people living together from different ethnicities and backgrounds. So also that can happen or when the camps get attacked by, uh, for example, locals with racist uh, ideas or whatever. So they're just there to provide emergency help in different situations. Also, when it's it gets really cold in the winter until minus five degrees. So then it's important um, that they're there in case something happens. Okay, wow. Like that's normally what the states like the EU, exactly. France, the UK should do. But it's still important that somebody is still there and doing something. And you, we just also mentioned Frontex. I don't know whether everyone knows what Frontex exactly is. So Anna, can you maybe explain a bit more what Frontex is? Or Yeah, well, Frontex is this private uh, EU hired mercenary organizations paid for by <laughs> basically us. Um, that takes care of, as they frame it, border security. Um, yeah, so in other words, takes care of keeping the migrants out of Europe. Yeah, and we also like mentioned that Frontex is also an example of like kind of this externalization of borders. And Salome, what is this? Externalizing borders. Yeah, um, that means kind of trying to prevent people from coming to the EU for example through the so-called hotspots so um, yeah when people when refugees arrive in Europe they usually arrive yeah, by sea or by land and um, they arrive uh, at the borders where you have hotspots for example in Italy or in Greece and there you have yeah primary facilitations that are there to to kind of yeah to register the people and to start this Yeah, the asylum process for them and yeah the facilities are way too overcrowded and they just the whole administration process does not work at all and that's why also some people try to avoid that because they don't want to claim asylum in that first country because then they have to wait for so long in these encampments and they just they are also not allowed to leave and not allowed to leave the country um, so yeah this externalization is basically um, the countries that are away from the borders of the EU, that are not at the borders of the EU, um, yeah, feel too little responsibility and um, do not want to share the responsibility of all the countries to to accept refugees. Yeah. And this responsibility is then often caught up by NGOs working there and also organizations that you as Maastricht goes to Calais support. Anna, what are the organizations? Like we just talked about Utopia 56 who provide emergency help, but there are also other organizations involved, right? Like what are they doing and who are they? There are so many NGOs involved in Calais, luckily. Um, unfortunately, that's necessary, but still 
they have such a great work. Um, for example, we support the Refugee Women's Center, uh, who take care of specifically women and families living in Calais. We have the wood yard uh, that collects firewood, especially in the winter. It's extremely cold and living outside, we can only imagine how horrible uh, that must be. We also have Project Play, which is focused more on children. We have the uh, Refugee Community Kitchen. Um, yeah, as the name suggests, also um, mainly providing food assistance. And I think another good example is the Refugee Info Bus. They provide uh, legal help to, to refugees in terms of uh, visa applications, for example. Wow, that's impressive. And Salome, how exactly is Maastricht Goes to Calais supporting these organizations? Um, we're in close contact with them, so we also advertise for them whenever there's something we can advertise for. Um, we collect uh, yeah, money donations also that uh, we transfer directly. Um, we also yeah, take other types of donations. For example, right now we're trying to get some food for the community kitchen. Um, we're driving to Calais actually on Saturday. So if you want, you can check out our Instagram. And this week you can come by two different locations um, where you can bring food and clothes donations that we will bring immediately this weekend to the organizations. And whenever we go, we help out in the warehouse. They all share the same warehouse and they're, yeah, they, they store, for example, all the clothes donations or they chop their wood or they order all the food in boxes and Yeah, there's always something we can do. There's always help needed. And we just go there and ask who needs us the most, basically. Okay, wow. That's so good that you're doing this. And like for me, I'm not involved in Maastricht Goes to Calais. So what <laughs> can I do to get involved into your organization, Anna? To get involved in Maastricht Goes to Calais, simply hit us up. <laughs> uh, you can <laughs> reach out to us um, on all pub, uh, yeah, social media platforms via email, whatever works best for you. But uh, to get more involved in, in the Calais situation, there are so many other options to also help. And it's fairly easy for all of us to speak up, to question narratives, to maybe if it's only about signing a petition that takes maybe 10 seconds, um, we can all be more involved and help. We can go there, we can go volunteer, we can reach out to the NGOs directly. Um, Yes, Salo. <laughs> yeah, and if you want to yeah, be more involved on a more permanent level, you can, for example, also during your summer holidays, um, just like contact an organization and volunteer there for a few weeks or months. That's what a lot of people actually do. Also, more people come in summer than in winter because it's warmer and I don't know, they just have more time maybe, but um, they, they always need someone. So if you want to go for a longer time, you can always contact them and come whenever you want. And to help the local NGOs, you don't even have to go to Calais. You can also help them write certain articles or help publish um, their news on your own social media. So from the comfort of your own home, uh, home, you can already help so much. Wow, this is really cool. Like, I didn't know that there were so many options to get involved and you don't even have to be in Calais for that. Like, you can also do it from Maastricht, from your student desk, basically, and do tasks that we as students are very much familiar with. So to raise awareness and do text production, basically. <laughs> um, and you mentioned volunteering. Like, what exactly do I do as a volunteer, Anna? That completely depends on the organization. Many of the NGOs there share a very big warehouse, 
um, where many different and diverse volunteers stay. So you can, um, yeah, upon completing a seminar, of course, uh, be involved in, in many of the organizations, help chop firewood or help playing with children in the project play. So whatever you like to do and whichever field you would like to be involved in, you can find something where you can become active. Wow, that's so cool. And Salome, you are volunteering. So what are your experiences as a volunteer? Um, yeah, you, you meet very interesting people. You come together with people from from many different backgrounds and you talk about, you bond about a topic that is so close to your heart and you hear a lot of very touching stories and experiences. So it's also... For me, it's it's mentally also difficult, but I, w I, I think I want, I need it to be mentally difficult also because I, I need to to get through this and to somehow, yeah, try to understand the, this very abstract problem. So going there is always hard, but also very uh, relieving and very, yeah, you know you do something that has a purpose and it somehow then also feels good. Yeah, and like you don't necessarily even have to go to Africa to fight poverty to do something exactly. and to get involved. You can just go to Calais, which is a three-hour drive <laughs> from here, and do something good. I yes. think that's the very important takeaway that people often think um, when they think of voluntary work, they think of going very far away. Um, but there's so much that we actually have to do where we are and that we might also be able to understand better because it's closer to us and that is maybe also more appropriate to go to yes definitely and anna for you what are your experiences as a volunteer um going there hearing the stories of um not only refugees but also other volunteers feeling so powerless with this whole situation really emotionally also touched me um i especially remember i went a few months before salo and sofia went um And I remember hearing the story of one um, volunteer who told me that from the border they could see people in a boat on the water yelling for help and legally they were not allowed to go there and help them. So this idea of complete hopelessness and really not knowing what to do um, yeah, is something that really touched me. Wow, thanks for sharing that. And I just hope like kind of to end this on like a more positive <laughs> note like because you're so involved you're so active for this topic you really like also know so much which is, which is so impressive like that our generation is like really going to change something about this issue and really also change the structures change the policies and yeah just do something about it and that's also like the next song is about kind of this new generation so new 68 by the Leoniden and yeah I just hope that will change something
This was New 68 by Leoniden. And we're now already finishing our episode and show about migration. You're listening to Student Radio Maastricht, hosted by RTV Maastricht and joined by our tech, Janis, and then also by the organization Maastricht Goes to Calais with Salome. Hello. And with Anna. Hello. It was really a pleasure to talk with you and so interesting to get the insights and your experiences and also kind of, yeah, the challenges that you face as volunteers in Calais and like Maastricht going to Calais. And yeah, what are your closing thoughts, Salome, about this episode and this topic? Yeah, uh, thanks for, for having us. I think it was very important to have this episode. And yeah, the topic is just really close to my heart. That's why, yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna say something very personal. But yeah, I just think that it's very important that more people get this emotional att attachment to the topic because I feel like that's what is driving me to yeah to be involved in the organization and to raise awareness and I'm really hoping that this will drive many more people to do the same and Anna you I completely agree and I absolutely hope that the past um, hours have shown the agency of refugees and, and the need for each and every one of us to be more involved because after all I feel like our generation simply has the tools with a simple click we can already raise awareness uh, with a simple share button um, we can educate so much and we should all use this opportunity instead of keeping quiet yes exactly telling stories and having these really difficult conversations like for me as a host it was super difficult to like yeah in a sensitive way talk about this topic and find the language for this so yeah thank you for like giving your input on that and really helping me throughout kind of this conversation to yeah just convey a message that like we can all get involved and we can all do something and yeah like what can we do like maybe we can like close with like again repeating what we already said like how can we get involved like what should I do now Sanome? Um yeah if you if Well, I, I'm just going to say it from our organizational perspective. Um, we are always looking for volunteers. We're actually trying to expand a bit to have some committees, um, for example, an event committee or an awareness committee or in co a committee helping us to organize the volunteer trips. So, yeah, we we don't have enough people right now to, to get bigger and to do more, which we would love to do. So if you are a student here in Maastricht and you are... You don't even have to be a student. Just if you want to be involved also with us, you can contact us. And um, outside of that, like we said, just uh, yeah, keeping the dialogue going and um, being vocal and also about your opinion and sharing um, yeah, posts from the organizations or signing petitions or al always donating. And Anna, what do you think, like, what should our listeners do now after getting aware or maybe more aware of this issue? You cannot be aware enough of this issue. So uh, listeners can always find information on this, do their research. And, um, you know, whatever your passion or dream or interest is, there probably is a space for that in our organization or in Calais. So if ever you wanted to try something, had an idea for an event, wanted to write a piece or do some photography, some arts, there is a space for that. And you can use that for the good and to help displaced people in Calais. Yeah, I think, Anna, you mentioned a really good point, which is, yeah, you can never know enough about the topic. And I think like going back to the storytelling and the perspective and the 
yeah discourses about this topic uh in my opinion it's the the best you could do if you want to learn more about the topic is to actually read about it uh from the point of view of the organizations because they are the ones that are on the field and that see what is happening every day um and it's a very different perspective from other media that reports that might come just once in a while or not even go to Calais to see what's actually happening. Um, so the organizations provide a very different point of view and also um, you there's a, a website called Care for Calais. I would check it out if I were you. Um, there's very interesting videos also if you are too lazy to read. <laughs> <laughs> It's always a good point as a student. Like, I don't want to have more readings. No, just kidding. But like, <laughs> videos are always more accessible, I would say. And Anna, do you have any tips and resources that you would like to share? Um, I know for once that a Refugee communica uh, Community Kitchen also has a YouTube channel and so do many of the organizations working there and that we support Um so yes, I think videos really show the situation there more than maybe words could. And if not, it's a three and a half hour drive. So you could always go there and see for yourself. Yeah, and you mentioned that you're actually going there next week. So um, and like where exactly maybe do you already have a plan? Like where can I drop <laughs> by um, Yeah, food that I can maybe donate or when can I drop by clothes? Is there any information or where can I find this information, Salome? Uh, yeah, we, we made a post on our Instagram. Uh, we have two different addresses. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna say them now on the radio. <laughs> you can just check out the Instagram post. Okay. Um, but you can donate on Friday and on Thursday. But if that doesn't work for you, you can always contact us and we will make something possible. And your Instagram is, Anna? It's at Maastricht goes to Calais. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Then I hope a lot of listeners are going to get in touch with you and also get involved in that. And yeah. I think we're ending now. Any closing things that you would still like to mention and say? Thank you for having <laughs> us. <laughs> Thank you yeah. for listening. <laughs> Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. It was really a pleasure to host this show. And yeah, like we'll definitely continue to have this conversation. Like we just raised another topic when the song played where we were like, yeah, why do organizations there have such a hard time? Why are they so criminalized? So maybe we can do another episode about that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about good. That? Nice. Always. Okay, then we'll plan that. <laughs> Very cool. Yes, then thanks to you as guests being there. Maastricht goes to Calais. Check out their work. It's really important. And yeah. I was your host, Sophia, and tech was Yanis. Thank you very much for making this possible. And thank you very much for our supporters, so RTV Maastricht and Code043. And yeah, that's it. And we're going to end with the song Good Time by Lady Donnelly and Thames. And I think this is really important that we end on a positive note and really spread the message and raise awareness. So thank you very much. Thank, <laughs> you. thank you. Tune in next week for Student Radio Maastricht, always from 6 to 8. <laughs>
trapped inside I wanna hold you so much At long last love has arrived And I thank God I'm alive You're just too good to be true Can't take my eyes off of you Trust me. 